This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Asia Torah overlooking the Western Wall. So your life sucks. Okay, great. You know, whose life doesn't suck in some way or another? So, so your life sucks and, and now you're trying to like, I don't know what you're doing exactly, but let me tell you one way to get your life to stop sucking. Okay? One way to get your life to stop sucking immediately is, is don't blame anybody. I'm not going to say don't complain. Really, normally you say don't blame, don't complain. Like, take it on. Don't blame, don't complain. In fact, there was a, there was a woman named, na- there is a woman named, uh, the plot, 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 plot uh. she runs a program called JWRP. Lori Palatnik, yeah. a woman named Lori Palatnik, who had this whole don't blame, don't complain campaign where you wore a, one of those little rubber bracelets like you got over there. And every time you blame or complain, you have to switch. And if you blame or complain again, you got to switch again. And you had to get through a day without switching, you know, more than a couple times. But don't blame, don't complain. So what does that mean, don't blame? Don't blame is stop blaming your life circumstances on the, the circumstances of the past. You know, your father... Your, you, oh, you know this one. Yeah, so you stop, you stop. We need a third camera for these guys. I mean, these guys are so sweet. Look how sweet this guy is. So once you stop blaming, things swi- switched for you. Yeah, and wait till you try not complaining. <laughs> Switches even more. Because the, regarding the, the blame is... You're rarely in a situation. Yeah, don't pay attention to the kid. He's on the technical. <laughs> He'll handle this. And it's really not a big deal because we got two cameras here. Um, the the blame game is is particularly crazy because whatever it is is your problem is over. And think about something you could complain about. Sorry, did I say complain? Think of something you could blame about that's like messed up your life. Is that happening to you right now? No. Anyone have that happening right now? No. Not happening. It is not happening. So who's who's the perpetrator now? Answer? You. You. (laughs) You're your own perpetrator. So so that's blame. So you get it like blaming is just a joke because you become the perpetrator of what's going on with you. Now, why would you do that? We can go a little deeper. Why would you do that? Why would anyone be their own perpetrator? And the answer is, is that it's a lot easier to blame people for your lousy life. Yeah, it's a lot easier to blame people. And since they, and another thing is, one of the scariest things in the entire world, and especially for young people, is responsibility. Right? Responsibility is a four-letter word. And people are scared to death of responsibility. As Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong said, Responsibility is a heavy responsibility, man. Responsibility, re- responsibility is freaky. And the second you stop blaming, what do you have to do? What do you got to do? Once you stop blaming your past, there's a spot right there, grab it. Once you stop blaming your past, what, what do you immediately have to do? You got to take responsibility. Now you got to take responsibility. And, 
Ain't nobody want to take responsibility. We want to sit on a hot sand beach and or lay on a hot sand beach, fall asleep, get a sunburn, and spend the next three days putting on creams in a hotel room. Maybe not. <laughs> anyway, nobody wants that. And so it's a lot easier to blame. Now, somehow psychologists love perpetuating this. They love perpetuating this, this uh, you know, you know, like, uh, they kind of, I mean, there are very good psychologists who get you to stop pointing your fingers at everybody. Because <laughs> what happens when you point your fingers at people or at a community? What happens when you point your fingers? You're pointing one at them, but where are those other three pointing? Everybody say, right back at you. Right back Together. Where are the other three pointing? Right back at you. are the one creating this thing now. Okay, they're, they're somewhere in the past. You're the one creating it. And so, and so, but the second you stop blaming and you start taking, respons- taking responsibility, so then your life just turns around. Things turn around. And you start to feel alive. And that's the most important thing is to feel alive. Like anyone want to feel dead? But check it out. You ever notice this? That there's a direct correlation to avoiding responsibility and feeling dead? You ever notice that? You ever have those days where you just feel so dead? And if you think about on that day that you actually had something you were supposed to do or maybe multiple things and you blew them off, you feel so dead inside. So you literally trade your feeling of aliveness, like trading two bucks for a Coke. You traded two units of aliveness to receive being able to blow off responsibility. And you know it's true. And so you pay with your aliveness to avoid responsibility. And this very much relates to Judaism, too, because Judy, there's no greater responsibility than Judaism. I mean, it's like, it's like OCD. You know, it's like there's already something to do before you even got out of bed. There's something to say. You know, Modiani, now you're washing your hands on the side of your bed. What kind of weird stuff is that? You know, wash your hands on the side of your bed. You know, my wife, when she first learned about washing your hands, she thought, you know, you wash your hands for bread. And then some lady told her, you know, you wash your hands every morning before you get out of bed. It's like, well, I don't have a sink in my bed, you know. And she's like, you bring a bucket. So what did she do? The night before, she prepared bread. <laughs> put it next to the bucket. She washed her hands. She's like, like this Judaism stuff's going to kill me. She's sitting on the edge of the bed. The last thing she wants right now is like to be eating a piece of bread, you know. She washes her hands. She sits on the side of the bed eating the bread. <laughs> half a year later, she, half a year later, she comes to this lady's house for Shabbat, and the lady, you know, wakes her up in the morning. She comes in again just to make sure she's up. She sees, she sees my wife, and then she was single. She sees my wife eating bread on the side of her bed. She's like, "What are you doing?" She said, "You told me you wash when you wake up." Said, yeah, you wash, but you don't eat. The, you don't have to eat bread. So. Anyway, Judaism's packed, packed with responsibilities. Like, it never ends. And this is why you'll notice that a lot of young people, it's so much, all the responsibilities, that they actually feel it's too much. They just feel it's too much. They just can't do it. And so, but then again, you can't live with yourself because if you're Jewish and you like, you kind of deep down know if you didn't study it. Here at Asia Tour, we actually, we invite the question of, how do you know there's a God? Or is there a God? 
We invite the question, how do you know Torah is divine? Like, we want you to ask that. How do you know Torah is from heaven and not just human? Uh, some human tradition that people wrote down. We like those questions. But let's just say you got an answer in the affirmative that those were true. There is a God and Torah is binding. It's a real, you know, divine, godly document. Well, now you got heavy responsibility. But you're a young man. Who wants it? So you know what you do? You just get rid of God. Just get rid of God. Now, of course, if you're Sephardic, I apologize for saying this. Because a Sephardic person would never do that. Sephardic people just give more tzedakah when they feel guilty. <laughs> you know, they buy a Torah or something, you know. They have a big, uh, you know, Torah extravagant event for, like, you know, a new Torah or, or a new wing of a synagogue or something, you know. The Gindi wing, you know. So, so the, uh, anyway... The um, Sephardic Jews, I like that, by the way. I like that because Sephardic Jews are not willing to give up God just because they feel guilty for, for not keeping up the responsibilities. It's heavy responsibility, heavy. And I'd rather someone try to buy off, buy off God with, a, with, a, with charity than get rid of God. Now, you may be wondering, why do... Sephardic Jews buy off God, and why do Ashkenazic Jews get rid of God? What, how does that work? I mean, how do we have this, this distinction? And it's, a, it's not true for every single Ashkenazi, and not true for every single Sephardi, but it is quite a distinction that you all clearly laughed and identified with, and you understand what I'm talking about. So the answer is, is that the Ashkenazim, let's start with the Sephardim. The Sephardim have been living with deeply faithful people for 2,000 years who pray five times a day. Where They've been living amongst populations that are 100% believers. And, and the Jews are coming as 100% believers. And so, now of course, what do they have, what, are the, what, is a, what do you have to do to be a good Muslim? I mean, like, nothing? You know, I mean, there's a couple don't do's, don't drink alcohol, uh, what else are they not allowed to do? Or oh, they're not allowed to eat pork. <laughs> and what else are they not allowed to do? Oh, don't eat during the daytime on Ramadan. That's rough. <laughs> that's hard. Uh, that's okay. So they got a couple don't do's. How's Judaism on don't do's? <laughs> so we have. Uh, Let's just call it like this. We have 365 hyperlinks. Each one, when you click on it, hyperlinks, the clicker on the website, you know, the hyperlink, you click on it to go. Each of the 365 hyperlinks, when you click on it, it takes you to the website of that particular thou shalt not do. And then you can tape down the scroll button for the next half hour as it goes through like thousands of, how not to do that. Thousands of ways how not to do that thing. Even our positive commandments are chock full of details. Did you know there's more laws in the black boxes? You know the black boxes we're in? Not the ones in the airplane, but the ones we put on our head and our arm. That the black boxes are, the black boxes that we wear, 
there are more laws in those black boxes than all the world. Just the word, like, thou shall put on those black boxes. You know, like, tota vote. Yeah? In that one word, if you click on that word, it takes you to a website. Forget about it. I mean, you'll be scrolling down forever. It's, there are more laws in that word, tota vote, than all the world's religions combined. In that one law. Way more. All the world's religions combined together. There are way more laws just in one word of the Torah that ultimately equals these highly detailed black boxes that we wear. And, like, and we're serious about those things, man. Like, If you had 30 drunk Russians who were all double my weight, triple my weight, who were sworn to prevent me from putting them on between dawn and dark, do you think they would succeed? No, they wouldn't succeed. Maybe part of the day they'd succeed, but I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Ain't nothing going to stop me from that. And there was one time, I have to admit, there was one time I missed. It was when I was young and dumb, and I didn't know you're not supposed to put it under the plane. And I just, like, I'd only just taken on the commandment, and I was like, <sighs> I was in so much pain because the, the plane got, uh, there was a problem, like one of those weird delays with a layover in London. They sent me up in some hotel, and I'm like, where's my bag? And they're like, no, you'll be getting that in Los Angeles, you know, tomorrow. And I, I'm like, my tefillin. And they're like, we don't know what that word means. Just let us know if it's an explosive. <laughs> Anyway, and I spent the night so sad in my hotel room. I got to L.A. and mentioned to someone that my, I missed a day of tefillin, and they were like, never put your tefillin under a plane. It's also, it's different temperatures. It's cold and leather, you know, like you don't want to condensation in there. And so, anyway, and it's crazy that we even put on these black boxes. I mean, it's just the weirdest commandment. It's not like I ever really wanted to put black boxes on my body. You know? I remember as a kid, though, these Chabadniks trying to put those on me. I mean, today I appreciate them a little bit. Like, like they're looking out for people, you know. You should put on black boxes. But I've got to tell you, when I was a kid, I was like, I'll do my thing. You do your thing. Okay? I'm not putting on your little black boxes, sir. <laughs> and the next time I saw the guy, he's like, <laughs> I'm like, same status. Yeah. But they're, they're ve- you know what they're very helpful for is from Jews who know they should be putting them on, but they've stopped putting them on. And then they're walking down the street one day going like, you know, life sucks, life sucks, life sucks, life sucks. And then they see this Chabadnik with a pair of tefillin, and he's like, I'm like, tefillin? And the guy's like, yeah, Okay. <laughs> So he's very helpful for those guys. Now, um, so listen up. When you blame, I already said the issue with blaming. I explained that that once you stop blaming, your life turns around. But now you got responsibility. Okay, now you got responsibility. Bryce, you mind hitting the AC switch? It's getting a little warm in here. You didn't, you didn't cover the Ashkenazi side. Oh, sorry. Sephardim, uh, Sephardim, the way they deal with guilt is through charity. And Ashkenazim... The way we deal with it is by we get rid of God, so then we don't have guilt. Because if there's no God, no guilt. Just get rid of God. You know, go the easy route. And uh, and the reason why Ashkenazim go that route 
has to do with we've been spent we've spent the last thousands of years amongst philosophical atheists in Europe. Philosophical atheists. They're all atheists. Now there were idolatrous times, like the Greek times or the Roman times or the Christian times. You know, they were idolatrous times. And so it's not like they believed in nothing. <laughs> if you want to believe in nothing, you need our generation. <laughs> we're the only generation that believes in nothing. You know, like people actually believe in nothing. You know, which is really worse than idolatry. If you think about it, what's worse? Believing in nothing or believing in idolatry? So according to Torah, believing in idolatry is worse. But if you think about it, though, really believing in nothing is worse because at least if, you, if you're an idolater, you believe there is something beyond you. But when you don't even believe in anything, that means you don't believe in anything besides you and you probably don't believe in yourself either. And so you might as well just jump off a bridge. You might as well just jump off a bridge. Well, what happens, you become what's called a nihilist. And then, and then eventually you just get crazy depressed as a nihilist. And then you, why do you think the suicide rate is so, so, so high for a society that says there's nothing besides, you know, the couple inches between your ears, your, your brain, you know, and and now and the re- real reduction materialists would like to say that that you're really just an organism, you're just an animal, you know, <laughs> which is super crazy because it's so not true. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be friends with someone who thought they were just an animal because you couldn't trust them. And no one behaves like that. You'll notice even the biggest materialist atheist in the world behaves as if there's a god because you see they are good people. And they do have a moral voice, and they listen to that moral voice, or else we'd put them behind bars. You'd certainly never be friends with them. If it was a family member, you'd change the lock on your door. No one, be, no one behaves like that. It's just pure mental masturbation when atheists say that they don't believe in God because they don't live their lives that way. And if they did, we would, we would get rid of them. They would be extremely dangerous. There's no such thing as someone who lives as an atheist. There's only people, well, I mean, maybe the Nazis, but there's only people who are, are philosophically atheist, and they're generally from Europe, originally. Originally, meaning America's just the United States of Asia. It's just the latest rendition of Europe. And, and uh, yeah, so, so that's what the Ashkenazim do, is they get rid of God. But the truth is, is, is that, well, uh, let's, let's bring it back to this. How do I deal with the guilt then? Because I don't have the money for the charity. And I'm not Sephardic. And I don't want to get rid of God. Like, I'm not going to go there. Like, God, why is God guilty for my sins? You know, like, why do I have to blame God for this? And especially if I'm not blaming. So why am I going to blame God for this? So, meaning, why should I take God out? for the fact that I can't handle life. And so, what if I keep God in and I can't handle life? I mean, I can't handle living up to my responsibilities as a Jew. What, if, what do I do then? So you want to know what you do? First of all, you realize that nothing in Judaism is all or nothing. It never says that. In fact, it says the opposite. It says you'll never know the weight of a mitzvah. It says that there's no mitzvah that's greater than some other mitzvah. Every mitzvah, for those who don't know what the word mitzvah means, it means the commandments of the Torah. 
every mitzvah bears its own weight. You know, if you, if you got dumped on some deserted island and you're waiting for the boat to come rescue you, and right, you know, you've been walking around the island, you know, you're playing with the monkeys, whatever, and you, right as the boat's pulling in, and, and there's an announcement like, uh, you on the island, there's a big storm coming, so we're going to be docking for only 30 seconds, and the, the thing's like 50 yards offshore, and then they've got to get you out of there quick. Just then you find diamonds. Diamonds everywhere. Each diamond's like $10,000. You know, like, like nice big diamonds. You know, big old diamonds. And you're like, but they're everywhere. And, like, and now, as you finally realize that, the, the, they've already put down the drawbridge for you to run onto the boat. <laughs> what do you do? And, then, and there's a timer. It's like 10, 9, Eight, seven, six. What do you do? What's the obvious answer? Grab one. Grab two. Grab three. And jump on the boat. But you know what a lot of us say is, hey, I can't really get them. You know, I'm not going to be able to get all these diamonds, so I'll just get on the boat. Because there's... There's really uh, every commandment is not. You may be obligated in them, but stop looking at it as all or nothing. It's not healthy psychologically. It, it's too much. To, it's a big ask. God has a big ask. He's asking a lot. He's asking a lot, and and if you look at it as one big ask, then you're going to be. You know, you're going to be running away. But if you just look at it, well, there's this mitzvah. Oh, I could shake a lulav, okay? I could sit in a sukkah. Like, it can't get easier than that, you know? The whole mitzvah is to dwell in a sukkah. It's like, you know, you don't even need a very high IQ to do that. You know, you're just sitting there and you're doing the commandment, you know? The, the, just grab one at a time. If you can grab one diamond, grab it. But what happens is we wind up equating one commandment with, like, all 613, you know, one commandment with like all of them. And so we're like here and, and oh, because I didn't do that one, so I'm out. <laughs> you know, which is crazy. And by the way, if those of you who have seen me put this on the board, I'm going to say this again because it's a little rough what I'm about to say is that there's a very special kind of Jew. It's about half of Jewish males. Maybe a little less, maybe 45% of Jewish males. And they're called Nehis in Hebrew. Nehis stands for Netzach Hod Yisod. And they're really sens- they're sensory type people. Their USB cable is to like taste it. You know, they want to feel it. They want to like, they want to, they want, you know, they like mikvahs. You know, they like, they want it all over. You know, they want, they want, they like chilling. You know, they, they, they like, they're physical. They like to build. They're, they're often builders. They often will go into construction and, and become ultimately, you know, wealthy builders and stuff. They, they're physical guys. And you know what this one commandment is? This one commandment is the commandment to study the Torah. Just to study it. Now, tell me, do people who are very physical like sitting in front of books a lot? No. No. 
So you have 45% of Jews, Jewish men, who are being forced to go to school for year after year after year after year, and then after they get married, they're supposed to keep going. I mean, it's, I can't tell if the miracle is that they don't kill themselves or just open fire on the community. You know, understand? Like, the, 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 the community is murder, murdering these boys who have 612 commandments just going like this. Because what do they love? They love physical things. Well, almost every commandment is very physical. You dwell in that sukkah. You know, you, you drink the kiddish. You, you, uh, you know, you, you say the prayers. You shake the lulav. You blast the shofar. You know, it's like the whole thing's, the whole Torah was written for these guys. But we made them feel like Goyim. We made them feel like they were, they were out. And I wish we could somehow shift things. You know, I wish we could shift things. And it's not to create their own yeshiva. That's what they try to do. Oh, we'll give them their own place to destroy it. <laughs> so don't mess anybody else up you know it's, that's not the answer Judaism itself tells us that you put people who are criminals with you put them with the Kohanim you put them in the Levitical cities to spend time with the holiest people you want them around holy people yeah? you want them with the holy people not away from holy people so like putting them in their own little uh their own little like Muncie penitentiary to like to like you know destroy the place of some crazy tuna bagel yeshiva you know not the answer now um, let's get back let's get back to uh, our subject our subject is that is that we we stop blaming because in the end we're our own perpetrator because no one's bothering you right now and the other is you stop complaining and what does it mean to stop complaining to stop complaining means to surrender to the fact that whatever's going on in your life is part of some great divine plan there's some plan here because when you think about what it is to complain Complaining about something is basically saying that the world isn't the way you designed it. And the answer is, you're right. It's not the way you designed it. It is the way God designed it. And God designed it in such a way that you would grow the most. We're here to grow. God runs seminars, okay? You're in his seminar. I can tell you something. I run the Possible You Seminar now. I don't even know how many years. I put people into great discomfort and they grow. They grow. And the analogy we use in the seminar is popcorn because popcorn kernels, they're not into growing. <laughs> popcorn <laughs> kernels, they are not very expansive. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they are like highly resistant. Highly resistant. You got one of those on your, you know, between two teeth, you might break the teeth before you break the kernel. And no one would even try. You, you want to try to break a, a fresh popcorn kernel with your teeth? 
No, thank no you. <laughs> Bad idea. They are not very pliable. They don't, they don't expand well. But when put into great discomfort, they pop. <laughs> I mean, they get, it gets hot, and they're like, what is going on in here? You know, like, you know, because they don't expand. You know, you put something else in there, it's just kind of like, whatever's going on in here, it's kind of like a sauna and starting to chill, you know. And uh, the popcorn don't chill, man. They pop. And and human beings also, we we because we are so growth resistant, God's seminar is just too darn slow. You're in God's seminar, but it's so darn slow. And you're so damn dense. I mean, you're just so damn thick that you'll spend the rest of your life blaming and complaining and not grow at all. That's what you'll do. And some, you'll find some therapist, you'll pay 200 bucks a week, and they'll just put some stamp <laughs> that you're right. I'm not talking about the good therapist. I'm talking about the enabler. Like the California therapist. Don't do, any, don't do anything you don't want to. <laughs> California. Yeah, don't do anything you don't want to. You're like, you mean I get to act like I'm five? <laughs> That's what five, five-year-olds don't do anything they don't want. So anyway, the, they'll put a stamp on it, and you'll just spend the rest of your life blaming and complaining while you're in this massive seminar called God's Seminar and all the discomfort just makes you more and more bitter and resentful and less and less interested in God and more and more pushing God out. God's Seminar is very slow and you are very dense. And the reason why I keep saying God's seminar is slow, you're probably looking at me like, Rabbi, like, it's a little blasphemous to, like, comment about God's timing, you know. And, and the answer is, is that the reason why I call it slow is because we're so dense today and we're so, we're so stubborn. And it's also we're, we're so far away that we've created such a huge philosophy around our lives, meaning around all the dysfunctional stuff. All our dysfunctional scrap, without the S, obviously. All of our dysfunctional scrap, we have perfectly worked out why it makes all the sense in the world. Meaning you have, you have become this like philosophy major of why everything dysfunctional about you makes all the sense in the world. Meaning dysfunction is functional as long as you have a reason. I'm going to say that again. Dysfunctional is functional as long as you have a good reason. And that's, that's called being, being dense. Dense means you're thick. You're, you, you, we can't reach you. You're not movable. You don't grow. Because your dysfunction is totally backed up with a world of blaming and complaining and all kinds of philosophies and family mythologies. And, and it's like there's nothing true going on over there. And so God's got his hands tied behind his back to give you anything good. Because the way you grow best is through going through stuff, but you don't grow through that either because you can't stop blaming and complaining. And the world gets harsher as you go, man. I'm telling you, those young people in this room, everyone will cut you a lot of slack when you're young. 
but it get, it gets harsher as you start growing people like nobody wants a blame or a complainer so i have people working for me man no one's blaming or complaining in my organization <laughs> they they are not for hire you know and and they're and they're also uh it's, all, it's not just me. I, I, there's a lot of corporations that have it as a rule. Apple won't take. Apple will not hire blamer. Facebook won't. Amazon will, in their actual corporate, you know, structure, anyone into blaming and complaining is not coming to. Not going to be working for them. You know, these big corporations have themselves. They they have a filtering device. Now, if they so love you and think you're so amazing and like you have so much to offer their corporation but you're a blamer a complainer but they still want you they'll send you to a seminar like like mine like the possible you you'll just find yourself in a seminar the nice thing is they pay for it they actually pay for it and you will not set foot in your you will not sit at your desk until you've first spent a week crying your eyes out getting real and having some seminar leader poke holes in your disaster of what you call order meaning with all your reasons it's you've created a whole order out of all this you know that but it's a disaster and no one wants to give you a paycheck even if you do your job right no one wants to give a paycheck to someone who could even potentially blame and complain and so there's many companies where you never even sit at your desk till you go into some seminar because god's seminar is slow and it was developed for people who were not as thick as we are. People didn't live this way in the past. They were much more real. Fathers were always in the spotlight of their sons. They couldn't hide in office chairs. And they were not. You know, our fathers were ripped away from us. We didn't. We didn't. We were raised by women. In a feminist era, it's like no wonder guys are wearing tight pants now and little purple socks and <laughs> and. Uh, you know, they're little, they're little dandy little booties, you know, and they're, and they're tight shirts and stuff. Like, like, we were raised by women. We, we were raised to apologize for a man, and our fathers were stolen from us. We were, instead of being taught trades and being out there with the men and, and, and working the fields and, and learning what it is to be a man for a family and for parents and for... Yeah, the only exception, by the way, is Haredi men, black attitude men. <laughs> Three years old, your teachers are males. From then on, you have male teachers, and, and you're with boys, and you're with men, and you're always together, and you're learning the tradition of men for thousands of years, thousands of years of, of traditions of manhood. We have our own traditions, just like women have their traditions, we have our traditions. These are age-old, thousands-year-old traditions. Instead, what do we get? We got total gender dysphoria with men today. They, they don't even know who they are anymore. And which makes taking responsibility as a man ten times more scary. And with all those philo- with all those nihilistic, atheistic philosophies, no wonder these guys are want to just take their lives or just numb it all on drugs until they die from an overdose. Or because it's, it's, he's not a man. But yet the world of, of taking on the male roles is, is waiting for them, not very patiently. It's cruel. Ultimately, as you get older, it gets cruel. 
And so it's a major ripoff. And the, the, one of the po- very positive things about the Haredi society is, is that men are together. There's a tradition of, for men. coming up to Yom Kippur and and the only way Yom Kippur is going to work for you is if you stop blaming and complaining and you start pointing those three fingers at you when you come into Shul on, Rosh, on Yom Kippur I want you to come in if you come to Aish just come in like this you know like kind of like kind of like Trump <laughs> the economy is going great you know Instead of pointing and having those three fingers, yeah, make an okay sign. Point those fingers at, at you. And realize that you're in a seminar. God is, is massaging your life into shape to create something very great. And I'll tell you one last thing is that you can turn your complaints and your, even your blame into healing healing leaves in tea that you can have people drink from because if you heal your life you know raise your hand here if anyone feels they got to heal their life a bit anyone here got to heal their life okay raise your hand if you got to heal their life I don't want an L give me a Vov okay give me a Vov okay okay keep your hands up Raise your hand if you know people with a similar background who need the healing even more because they're not even getting help at this point. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if there's no one better. Keep your hand up if there's probably no one better than you that wants you heal to help them. It's probably you. And raise your hand if you'll keep your hand up if you'll sleep well at night knowing that besides making a living or anything else you did, that you made a difference for somebody. If you'd sleep well knowing that. So you guys got you guys got great stuff coming your way. Get healed up. Stop blaming, stop complaining, heal your life, and and then start making a difference for other people. Shalom. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by Torahanytime.com.